the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Cool. Well, my name is Carl and I serve in our young adults ministry here at church. It's awesome to have you here. Why don't you open up to Revelation 3? We're going to be in Revelation uh, 3 tonight. Um, But I want to start off by telling you an embarrassing story about an animal that is wrecking my life. Um, uh, Since I became a dad, um, being a dad, being a parent is hard work. Anyone want to say amen to that? Any parents in here? Amen, right? Come on. Come on. You make it hard work. Um, But it is a delight. Um, One of the things that really gets me through my day is that when I come home from work, my kids are about two and about three, and when I come home, they run towards me. Right? They, um, the first year or two of having a, having a kid, I, I could take it or leave it. Right? It's, a, it's hard, relentless work. And, but after a year or two, you come home and you are a superhero to your kids. Right? So you open the door and they run at you. They are consumed by you and you are their superhero. And that's the way that it is in my house. I'm not saying I'm deserving of being a superhero, but I do enjoy it. Right? And so I come home at the end of the day and I have this great experience and I've been having this great experience until this animal came into my life and it is wrecking my life. Can we show the picture of this animal? Peppa Pig is wrecking my life, right? I don't know if you know Peppa Pig, right? These five-minute episodes on the ABC that is all-consuming to my kids, right? So I come home and if I come home and my TV is on, and that guy is on TV, I get zero love, right? So in my life, if I have a tough meeting at work, if I have a tough day and I come home and my kids love me, I've got no problem. This guy has been wrecking my life. And so I came home one day and um, they were watching this episode, um, Peppa Pig meets Santa. And this, I'm telling you this is an embarrassing story. And I come home and I sit down on that couch with vengeance in my heart. My kid, Jack, um, the eldest, who's three, turns to me and he says, um, Santa's coming to see me soon. And I was mad and embarrassed about this story that day, right? I turned to my kid and I said um, to him, Santa's not real. Mummy and Daddy buy those presents and we wrap them up for you and we give them to you because we love you, but he is just a little cartoon character. I was embarrassed in my heart, but I had vengeance, right? And um, he turned to me, and like with big blue eyes, and he goes, silly daddy, and he ran off, right? <laughs> and, um, and I stared at that Peppa Pig on the screen, I just like with vengeance in my heart, I was like, I'm gonna get you, Peppa Pig. And the reason why I was so angry at this TV character is because I refused to let my son's heart grow lukewarm towards me, right? My kid can get lukewarm about anything, but he will not get lukewarm in his love towards me. There's things in life where it's okay to get lukewarm about, right? I've realized that it's okay to have indifference to Christmas decorations going up in August. I've learned that, right? It used to annoy me, it's okay not to care. I've learned that it's okay to be indifferent about people who slow down before they indicate, right? Do you know the kind of people that I'm talking about? So rather than indicating first, letting you know that they can go around, they slow right down and then indicate. It used to make me mad, and then I realized probably 10 minutes before that's exactly what I do. And so I decided it was okay to be indifferent about that. It's okay to be indifferent about um, on December 1st, the first day of summer, it was freezing cold. 
It's okay to be indifferent about those things. But there are some things in life that it is not comforting to be indifferent about. It is not comforting to be complacent about. I don't know if you've ever felt uh, the numbing pain of having a lukewarm, indifferent, complacent faith. I have. I remember um, driving down Grand Junction Road when I was about 18 or 19 years old and I was in this busted up um, green Mitsubishi Magna, crashed on the second day that I bought it, and um, I was driving up this this road and I remember thinking to myself, um, I think I'm just going to be an average Christian. I think that the um, church is good and I think that the church is okay, but I think the world is okay and um, I'm going to have some good fun there and I made this decision in my heart to be lukewarm in my faith. And it is true that there are some things that it's okay to be lukewarm about and indifferent about, but there are some things that are not. And when it comes to um, being lukewarm in your faith, I need to um, give you the great warning that it is not okay to be lukewarm in your faith because for those people whose lives are marked by an indifference, a complacency in their faith, they can shipwreck all that they hold dear. Families are shipwrecked because of lukewarm faith. Friendships are shipwrecked. Sex is shipwrecked because of a lukewarm faith. And friends, eternity are shipwrecked because of a lukewarm faith. The good news is that Jesus is not silent. He is not silent on how to overcome a lukewarm faith. We've been uh, in this series called Return to Sender where we're taking the uh, lies of the enemy, the father of lies, and we're sending them back. And the lie that we can so often believe is that we are trapped by a lukewarm faith. That that is always going to be our story. But it is not true. Revelation 3 provides us the means to understand the title of our message tonight, how to overcome a lukewarm faith. And so we're in Revelation 3 tonight. It's on page 1030 of the Pew Bible, if you have it in front of you. Um, the book of Revelation uh, is a beautiful book written by the Apostle John who receives this revelation of how God is going to culminate, how he's going to bring his eternal plan uh, into being. And, and so we see in the section tonight that there are actually five, uh, seven letters written to seven churches, and some of them are complementary. Some of them have things to say that are positive, and the letter that we're going to read tonight is not complimentary at all. And so we turn our eyes to the church of Laodicea, so verse 14 of chapter 3, and we're just going to read the whole letter in its entirety. So you can look down at the Bible, but if you didn't bring one, just check out the screen. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve its anointment to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. And this is a powerful letter full of powerful truths that it is not just, it is not just sobering. It actually gives us the keys to overcome a lukewarm heart. Here is the first key to overcoming a lukewarm heart. It is to surrender to the truth. Surrender to the truth. Look down in verse 14 again. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Friends, the only way to take the road that leads away from a lukewarm heart is to surrender to the truth. What truth? That is the truth that only Jesus can lead the way. We see in Revelation 1 that Jesus is the one, the voice that is speaking these letters. And uh, he's described in this verse as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. It says he is the Amen. And you would have heard the word Amen in church a lot, right? And for some of you, it might just sound like Christianese. And we know what Christianese is, right? So when we come to church and we hear these godly kind of words, but we don't really understand what they mean. When I was growing up, I didn't know what the word amen meant. I just thought that it meant see you later or bye, right? And it makes sense. You hear your parents on the phone and they say see you later, bye. And when we pray in church, we say amen at the end of it. So it just appeared to me that it was saying see you later or bye. But it is so much more than just saying catch you later. It is this stamp of approval on the promises of God. That when the early church prayed, they were returning the promises of God back to the Lord. That they claimed the promises of God for themselves and they came to Jesus and called him the Amen. So that God isn't the God of the probability that what God says will happen. So what God has to say in this passage as he equips us to overcome a lukewarm heart isn't a way, it is the way. My wife and I were um, uh, putting our eldest boy, Jack, into kindergarten and um, we, uh, in, next year. And my wife asked me this question, is he going to be okay? And I answer, yes, of course. Because that's the right answer to give, right? But I can't guarantee that he's going to be okay. This year, we have these kindergarten transition days, right, which is super important. I can't stress to you how important these transition days are. You take your kid in for two hours at this kindergarten, you sit with them, you play games with them, it's helping them transition. So the very first day where I'm supposed to take him to his kindergarten transition day, I take him to the wrong kindergarten. I didn't just pull up out front, I got out of my car, took him into the kindergarten, sat him down on a chair inside the kindergarten, he gets Play-Doh out. He's putting buttons all over his Play-Doh. Friends, he had made a friend. And then the manager comes out and says, I don't think you're supposed to be here. And then last week, it happened again. My mother-in-law, same thing comes out, just thought it was a different kindergarten, and we end up at another place. See, when I tell my wife that everything is going to be okay, it is a possibility. It may be a probability but whatever God says is the great amen. Let it be done. 
When we pray in church and we pray for an awakening and we pray for a revival and we ask that this, that this service and the people in this church wouldn't be defined by um, the things of this world, but we would be defined by the goodness of Jesus, we are going to God and we say amen because only he is able to do it. It's not the cleverness of my tongue or the impressiveness of a band, though our band is impressive. We want the Holy Spirit to invade our heart. And so we call upon him because the Bible says that when we call upon the name of the Lord, he will listen. The Bible describes Jesus as the great amen, and it describes him as the faithful and true witness. Now, if you're in a court case, you need witnesses. And so you back up those witnesses. You get a series of witnesses just in case one gets discredited, then the amount of people that you brought can send your case forward. We don't need that with Jesus. Jesus is the great and faithful witness. Whatever he testifies goes. You don't need to take your Bible and ask the world if they agree with it. You can take your Bible and sit under its authority and that is the way to be free. The Bible describes him as the amen, the, the, the true and faithful witness and it describes him as the beginning of all creation. Beginning, which is in the, Greek, in the Greek word arche, which can also mean ruler, which is the way that the NIV translates it. Jesus is the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of God's creation. Here's the point that is already being made at the start of this letter. How do you overcome a lukewarm heart? First, you need to recognize that only Jesus knows the way. Buddhist theory doesn't know the way. Motivational sayings on uh, Facebook don't know the way. The Christmas romance movie that comes out every year that is trying to get you to be warm and fuzzy, if you have a lukewarm heart, only Jesus knows the way. Amen? amen. Not opinions of the world, the great amen, the faithful witness, the ruler of all creation. Why is this so important? It's so important because we are so often looking for the convenient truth, aren't we? We come to Scripture and we just want it to say what we want it to say. But so much of Scripture is actually the inconvenient truth, though it is the truth. That we were once enemies of God and who could not earn a right relationship with Him. That we couldn't work and we couldn't strive, but we can receive. That the way that you experience a relationship with God is not by climbing up to him, it's by taking a knee and surrendering. It's what the word of the Lord describes to us. But the promise is that joy can be found in the midst of the storms. Listen to the words of Jeremiah 17. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. I thought this was a typo when I first read it, right? It's a repeating for emphasis. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord and nowhere else. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, when trial comes, when pain comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit, bearing fruit in the midst of trials that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Jeremy Burroughs, the great theologian, said, you must receive the word not only as the true word of the Lord but as the good word of the Lord. Friends, 
Jesus is not the enemy of your joy. He is the provider of your joy. You will not find everlasting joy anywhere from Jesus. Jesus wants to lead you to be that tree that is planted by streams of living water. And it may mean that you come face to face with an inconvenient truth, but friends, it will be the truth and the promise will be that it will lead you to joy. Now, how will you be better off surrendering to his word? What is God's word going to reveal to us that will help us with a lukewarm heart? Well, surrendering to God's word also does this, that it helps us recognize what I call the great deception, the great deception. Look down in your Bibles in verse 15. It says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either, either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I, Jesus, the great amen, will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. To revive a lukewarm heart, friends, it begins with surrendering to the word, and it continues by recognizing the great deception. What is the great deception? The great deception is this that I can live for myself in Jesus' name. That I can live for myself, for my kingdom, in Jesus' name. So I can um, participate in religious attendance, and I can go to church, and I can maybe even jump on a roster, but in my life, my life is my own, and I don't depend on God for anything, and we become a Christian in name only. You know, when I speak to young adults and I ask how I can be praying for you and then I hear the answer, oh, I don't need anything right now, that doesn't excite me, that worries me. It worries me because we've moved to this place where we don't depend on God for anything and we think that we can do it all on our own. You know, we can claim the title of Christian, claim the title of a church, but we can fail to recognize the most central tenet of the, Christians, of the Christian faith. God's people are a dependent people. We don't outgrow our need for God. We don't outgrow our need for God. We don't outgrow our need for God in our family, in our dating relationships, in our marriage, in our workplace. We don't outgrow our need for God in any area of our life ever. When I, um, when I became a dad, I believe that God um, like, spoke to me and revealed to me something of the father heart of God. Just that, only in that when you have a child, there's this part of you that um, uh, experiences love like you'd never experienced it before, right? And I, I'm not much of a cry, but when I um, caught my baby, uh, I, just, I wept and wept and wept, right? And I just remember thanking God that um, something of what, it, something, something of what it means to be an earthly father reveals um, the nature of the heavenly father. But not everything in the way that we conduct ourselves as an earthly father actually mirrors the role of our heavenly father. Take this for example. The role of an earthly father is to train your child in such a way that there will come a day where they won't need you anymore. 
And then so, as an earthly father, um, I tell my kid a couple of white lies. I tell him that he's safe because I'm always going to be here, and I tell him that he is safe um, because I am so strong. And the truth is, is that there is actually coming a day where I will not be here and I will not be strong, and he will actually need to care for me. The exact opposite is true with our Heavenly Father, is that our Heavenly Father is always present, is always strong, and will always be here. This is the spiritual truth that we need to realize. Spiritual maturity is not about having an empty prayer list. It's about having a full prayer list. We don't outgrow our dependence upon our heavenly father because we may have outgrown our dependence upon our earthly father. Spiritual maturity is, about, is not about taking the training wheels off. It's about recognizing how badly we need them. Spiritual maturity is not about becoming independent. It's about learning to become fully dependent. For some of us, the temptation is to think that some parts of our life are under control and other parts of our life need Jesus. So I'm good at study. That's under control. I need God in my dating life. Or I'm good at dating. I need God in my study life. Or I'm emotionally fine right now. I need God to give me a job but we don't actually know that we are spiritually bankrupt without God in every single area of our life. And the lie of the devil is that you can have these little areas of your life, these little pockets, these little rooms of your life that you can keep away from God, but then what happens is that it breeds and it breeds and it gives you this sense of self-security and then all of a sudden you become indifferent, for, indifferent to God and you think you can do it all on your own. And this is exactly what happened to the Laodiceans. The Laodiceans' problem was that they became self-sufficient. They weren't a suffering people asking, why God? They were a prospering people saying, I am God. Historians tell us that Laodicea was a rich church in a rich city. It was one of the most important cities in Asia Minor, which is Turkey now, and they were known for a few things. They made unique clothes. Wool was a big deal back then, and they didn't just have wool, they were able to make black wool and made this, this elaborate clothing that they imported, that they sold all through Laodicea, and they exported, and they sent it off to Rome, and then Rome, Rome would send it off into the world. They were a very rich city, and they were a very intellectual city. So they had their own medical school where they created this eye ointment that would relieve people of some eye pain. And they were a rich people. And historians tell us that in 60 AD, there was an earthquake that came that flattened Laodicea. And this was a great opportunity for Rome so that Rome could make all these little cities dependent upon them. And so Rome came to Laodicea and said, we'll give you money to rebuild yourself. And then Laodicea said, we're all good, we've got it covered. They didn't use one dollar of Rome's money and they rebuilt their city. Why is this important? Because their comfort led to spiritual blindness. And while the church had luxuries, they did not have true life. This should be a warning for us. Look, how do we know that? Look down at verse 15. It says, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of 
my mouth. But what about their achievements? They were financially wise. They were prospering in their city. They had affluence. They probably had great jobs. They probably got into the courses that they wanted to get into to get into medical school. They probably had great homes of great comfort. This is what the Lord has to say to them, though. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. And sometimes that's what it sounds like when we speak to each other and say, how can I pray for you? Like, I am all good. And this is what Jesus has to say. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is an inconvenient truth. It's so interesting that they saw themselves as the pride of Asia Minor. Yet Jesus calls them wretched. They saw themselves as rich, yet Jesus called them poor. They were able to heal people's eyes, yet Jesus called them blind. We need to receive this warning. The comfort that is coming into our lives may not be coming from the Lord. That is confronting, right? The ease by which we're experiencing our life may not be coming from the Lord. It may be coming from the Father of lies who is looking to breed in you a lukewarm heart. Jesus said it like this, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There are two things that I notice about these words of Jesus. Firstly, it is possible to be rich in this lifetime and Jesus not to be celebrating your achievements. The Bible says that every good gift comes from the Father, but it is only God who gets to decide what is good and what is leading you astray. Secondly, Jesus says it is hard for a rich man to enter heaven. It's not impossible. There's nothing inherently wrong with achieving and going to a great university and getting a great job. But Jesus does say that you have a hard road ahead that you need to be prepared for. We see it all the time. The battle, the temptation of a suffering person is to ask, why God? And the battle and the temptation of a smart, intellectual person is to say that I am God. And the pain of it all is that you can have riches in this lifetime and there will become a day where Jesus will return and we will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, I do not know you. And this, friends, is what keeps pastors awake at night. We shake hands in the foyer, uh, we embrace you, and we wonder, have we led people to believe that the Christian life doesn't cost you your life? And we have led you to believe that it's not worth it. Friends, the call to be a Christian is to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and it is worth it. This is the great deception. I can live for myself in Jesus' name. I can build my own kingdom here on earth, call myself a Christian, and expect his approval, blessing, and comfort. And that's not what Paul said. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. That he had experienced, that he had known Christ in the Old Testament to say that you knew someone wasn't to say that you had an acquaintance where you, know, you could be Facebook friends with someone and then you'd pass them on the street and you'd cross on the other side because you didn't actually know them very well. The experience of knowing someone was to say that you were intimate with someone. That Paul knew Jesus and he, was, and he said, for me to live is Christ. 
that he had this great sense of peace and this great sense of joy and this great sense of hope because he had rejected his former life. He had come to know Jesus as his saviour and friends, he came to know Jesus as his Lord. Some of us feel like coming to know Jesus as your Lord is going to box you in, but friends, it is going to set you free. It is going to set you free from the apathy that we feel, the complacency that we feel. Paul knew the beauty of knowing Jesus. Recognize the great deception. I can live for myself in Jesus' name and then reject it. For you do not need to be trapped by a lukewarm heart. You can be free. Not in a while, but you can be free tonight. So how do I reject a lukewarm heart? Well, firstly, you surrender to the truth of his word. Secondly, you recognize the great deception. And thirdly, you receive the treasures of his grace. You receive the treasures of his grace. Look down at verse 18. This is so beautiful, friends, so beautiful. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is Jesus speaking to a people with a lukewarm heart. It should pierce our soul. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve, anointment, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The Christian life is a rich life, but maybe it is not in the way that you thought. It's actually better. God loves to give you good gifts, but they come by grace. It's so interesting that he says to a people that could afford everything, right? They needed no help at all. The city gets flattened and they do not need a dollar. And he says to them, come buy from me. Because he knows they could not afford it. Because the Christian life isn't about anything that you can purchase. The Christian life actually comes to you by a gift of immeasurable kindness. The riches of his kindness poured out on us. It is the one thing that they could not purchase. Your years of church attendance cannot purchase it. Your years of running away from God does not exclude you from it. He says to me, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Uh, gold and garments were a symbol of the resources that um, people were to have. That when you become a Christian, you actually receive resources. Right? You receive resources from the great resourcer. You receive the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God comes into your life and he seals the salvation gift in your life. That you don't um, become a Christian and then in the afternoon you're not a Christian and the next day you're a Christian again and the afternoon you lose your salvation. When the Spirit comes into your life and seals your salvation, then you need not worry no more. And he gifts you, right? For his ministry in the church and his mission in the world, the Spirit of God gifts you greater resources than we could ever imagine. There are people in this room who have the gift of leadership and administration and have the gift of music and have the gift of teaching. And God is saying to you that he wants you to deploy your gifts in the church. There is space for you to deploy your gifts in this church, right? God has given you gifts. It's not about 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. 
And it's not that we're desperate for people to do anything. Serving in ministry isn't a burden. Serving in ministry is a gift from the Lord. We all need to stop what we're doing and say, how can I deploy my gifts? My gifts of creativity, my gift of leadership, my gift of administration. And we need to be humble enough to say, yeah, God has given me a gift. I'm not perfect at it right now, but I know that God's plan for my life is to deploy my gift for the people in the church and for the people outside of the church. He talks about here wearing white garments so that you would no longer be naked, that there is coming a day where he will return, that he will clothe you in white garments as a symbol to you that you are in his family, that he delights to call you his child. But the day will come and he will call you home. Jesus also says here that he will give an ointment for their eyes so that they can truly see, so that they may truly see that the things in this world will ultimately disappoint, but Jesus, friends, never disappoints. So how do you reject the great deception? Look at verse 19. It says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Meaning, don't delay on your repentance. Run to repentance. Fall on your knees broken over how foolish it is that we ever put our hope in anything in the world besides Jesus. And Jesus isn't going to embarrass you. Jesus isn't going to shame you. Jesus isn't going to pull you up on stage and point out all the things that you should have done but you didn't. This is what it says in verse 20. Behold, be sure to see. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. A lukewarm heart isn't overcome by striving to invent enthusiasm like a child opening a present on Christmas Day that didn't really get what they wanted. A lukewarm heart is overcome when we open the door of our lives to Jesus and that door leads to every part of our life, not just some of it. And I wonder if your story here tonight is that you've opened up the door of your life to Jesus and you've let him in the foyer, right? Or you've let him in the lounge room because... Uh, uh, it's clean that day, right? But you've got all these other parts of your life, all these other parts of your room that you're not prepared to let Jesus see, and then Jesus' ministry will always be incomplete. And you'll wonder why you're not thriving, why you're not flourishing in your life, and the reason is, is because you're not letting Jesus do the great work that he promised that he would do. That he would meet you in your apathy, and he would regenerate your soul that he would meet you in your lukewarm heart and he would reveal to you just how precious you are to him and just how precious he is to you. That there would be no area in your life where you are self-reliant, where you are independent, but you would see the beauty of being fully dependent on him at all times. I'm going to invite the band to come back up on stage. Uh, Two weeks ago, (coughs) uh, we had a Christmas staff party and uh, we did uh, the high ropes course uh, in Adelaide City. I don't know if anyone's done a high ropes course before. Anyone done anything like that? Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. A couple of people, right? It's 
scares the living daylights out of me, right? I'm not a heights person at all. I'd much prefer be sitting with a fancy latte in some coffee shop. But this day, we decided to go on these high ropes course. And um, uh, these high ropes course is about 10, 15 meters up in the air. And um, do you know what I was not lukewarm about? My safety harness, right? I was not lukewarm about my safety harness because I knew the pain that it would cost me without it. Instead of resisting the harness, I delighted in it. I rested in it. And I allowed myself to be fully dependent on it. And so did I ever panic after that? Right? I put on my harness at the start and I felt the weight of it. Ollie said, like, sit back in it, sit back in it so you can feel the weight. And then I just forgot your instruction and then later on I just panicked. And um, I just wonder if that's a story for, uh, for some of us in our spiritual walk with God, is that we've actually forgotten just to rest back into Jesus. Now our life feels like it's spinning out of control and we have a lukewarm heart towards this harness that was always supposed to hold us, always supposed to carry us. We've forgotten that He is right there. All we need to do is to come towards Him and in brokenness and recognize that, Jesus, there are parts of my life that I've hidden from you and I need you to do the good work that only you can do, that you would restore my soul and you would awaken in me a heart of worship. You do not overcome a lukewarm heart by striving. You overcome a lukewarm heart by taking a knee, repenting, and allowing Jesus to do the work. That he would reveal to you how beautiful he is, how glorious he is, how right it is that we can trust him. You invite him into not just part of your life, but you invite him into every part of your life. So tonight, we're going to have that opportunity. Uh, I told you that a lukewarm heart can be overcome not just in three days' time, but it can be overcome in the moment. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is the great comforter. And so as we sing this next song, I want to invite you that if you want to overcome a lukewarm heart, or maybe your heart is just not right before the Lord in another way, we just want to open up the altar here. And Would you just come and take a knee before the Lord? As just this symbol between you and God that you're acknowledging that He is the Savior and He is the Lord and you are not. And you want the Holy Spirit to do the great work that only He can do in you, that He can restore and awaken your soul to be full of delight for Him once more. Can we do that, church? Let's stand to our feet. God, we are asking for you to awaken our souls here tonight. We're asking for the great Spirit to comfort us, to restore our soul, to teach us to be fully dependent upon you. We're asking for you to humble us so that we would not resist you. We are, Lord, repenting from the sin of self-sufficiency, thinking that I can do it all in my own strength and that I don't need you. So, God, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would meet and encounter people that are so bold tonight to acknowledge that that's where they are. And so we just ask, Lord, Would you awaken this church? 
Would you awaken souls for your glory? No more pride, no more arrogance. Would that be left at the door? This altar be full of people who want to get right with you once more, not waiting for 2020, but taking the opportunity right here in this night to do business with you, trusting that you will be kind and merciful and you will be powerful. Amen.